Yeah, this is probably too kind of crazy right now. It really picks up the background noise nicely. <laughs> In fact, that's, I love that talking to Cam when I try to put her on speakerphone or something. She's like, what is that? I'm like, oh, I'm just eating cold cereal. that loud. But it's all... That's all it's picking up. Hi, this is Tyler Murphy, and you're listening to the Montana Gallery Podcast. I'm just on my way down to the gallery, and I thought I'd record this intro. Uh, yeah, so today on the show, I sit down with my good friend, Joshua Clare. I call him Josh for short. Um, this uh, was recorded a couple weeks ago. We sat down at a diner here in Billings, and uh, I had a great time. Just uh, He came and stayed the night and dropped off some paintings at the gallery. Had a great time catching up with him. And was so glad that I was able to record a little bit of our conversation and that I get to share that with you now. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Josh, and I doubt that many of you are, but uh, from here, here's, here's who Josh is from my perspective. I think that he is a really inspiring family man, first and foremost. It's, it's great to see somebody so good at art and yet so healthy also, at, at least from what I can tell. Uh, he's, he's someone with a, uh, a really sincere faith in the divine. He just exudes joy, and so I look up to him a lot. He's also, man, this guy gets more work done uh, painting-wise than anybody else than, than, than I have ever been around. So, anyways, without any further ado, uh, here's my conversation with Josh and I at Bernie's Diner. And um, I think, okay, I have just asked Josh what he would attribute his success as an artist to. I've always had this idea that, like, if you work hard enough, you can be anything. You know, so that's kind of... I feel like it's a strength and it's a weakness. Sometimes I work myself blind. John Carlson talked about that. He said it's a deserving but pitiful state. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like he said, some are, you know, artists are so obsessed with just the work idea. Like if I do enough, then I'll get good that they work themselves blind until they're unable to see. And I feel like that's interesting, huh? So you're not feeling as much. You're just like work, 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 work. Yeah. The craft of it. Anyway, so it's been it's been a blessing, and I'm grateful that uh, that my mommy taught me to work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, my mom and dad were good examples of that. Uh, but I've had to tone it down a little bit because I've the more I've painted, the more I've realized like how important it is to feel and be passionate about the thing first, and that that really affects the final outcome of the work. So, yeah, I think ingredient number one is just that I enjoy work, and I feel. It's like lifting weights for me. Like when it burns, when I hurt, yeah. I don't think, dang, I hate this. I just feel like, man, I'm growing. I love that burn after yeah. just you just work yourself dead. Yeah. You know, I love that. So I actually enjoy working myself hard. Um, but I do want to say that it's, that I'm learning yeah. more and more every day that uh, it's not just about that. So once you know how to paint, like work yourself until you know how to paint 
or you start knowing how to paint. I'm just beginning. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can kind of paint stuff at this point, <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of. And yeah, I, I think everybody would agree that you can. And once you're there, uh, then, then a lot of making... Oh. <laughs> a lot... <laughs> Well, just wait, just one second, just one moment. There we go. There it is. Okay. Then a lot of making great art has to do with with where you're at internally. Yeah. So believing that you can make it and being really joyful about what you do, having a lot of passion and wanting to say something. Um. And then I I would say the second most important thing in my life thus far, as far as creating my very best work, has been a sense that like Harvey Dunn talked about the artwork coming through him and not from him mm-hmm. and when I'm there that's when I make my best stuff yeah. so I have to be humbled a lot like when I do something I'm proud of I immediately go to a place where I'm, I'm thinking Josh you're awesome way to go Josh and so the next time I paint God will just humble me yeah. I'll do the worst junker ever and feel like a piece of junk and go what happened and then I go oh yeah oh. that last time when I did that great painting is because I was I was humble and I was more meek about it and I was grateful I was in the right place yeah. so that's been another big thing when I do bad work it's because I'm in a bad place or I'm thinking too much about me I'm wanting to make stuff so that people think I'm awesome yeah um and I'm thinking, gee, I'm a good artist. You know what I mean? How do, how do you avoid thinking about yourself too much? Uh, part of it is having family. Like you said, that's, that's big. And then, and then it's just a fight every day. It's a strange thing that I found is that you wake up every day and you're kind of back in that. Yeah. Every day it takes those, those things to, to remind yourself, like, what... Um, who gave me this blessing of being an artist every day, you know, that uh, every painting that sells is a blessing and that the fact that I'm able to do this every day, that I have the talent, that I have eyes to see and a body that works and all of this stuff is a gift. And so reminding myself about that and then reminding myself about what I really want and that it's not the awards or the praise of men or the big price tag that I really just want to make beautiful things and that I need to be a beautiful person and I need to have God with me yeah. or else I can't make truly beautiful things. Yeah. But yeah, every single day I have to remind myself it never stays overnight for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Do you find the same sort of fulfillment um, that you find while you're creating paintings and creating other things in life other than your artwork? That's a good, that's a really good question. And yeah, I think so. I mean, I think any creative endeavor brings the same high, makes us feel as good. I like to write a lot. Mm -hmm. I like to uh, write songs. Oh, really? Yeah, I love playing my guitar and writing songs. I love the music. What What does that look like on sort of a daily basis for you? Um, Well, let's let's go through your your daily routine because I'm curious. Um, how often you write and and do you have sort of time set aside how do you get into that creative flow yeah that's a good question I should write more and my studio is just small enough right now that my guitar is put away okay but soon 
in my, my dream studio I'll have the guitar out I want like a corner of you know my music little corner yep. I'm, I want a stage kind of built up off the floor with all of the gear so I can just out of painting into music really quick just for a different creative outlet um, but right now uh, I write usually we have sort of a an email that we'll send out to friends and family every so often that just we talk about our highs and lows like this good thing happened and and my low is usually I just I enjoy writing so I try to think of something kind of a bummer thing that happened and then turn it into a funny story okay you know like because they're usually funny yeah. there's a lot of humor in the bad things that happen to you yeah but I love that that's and Cam will make fun of me Cambry is my wife by the way for those of you who don't know she and I call her Cam so that's who Cam is but Cam will just make fun of me basically because she just cranks out her part just writes it okay. and I sit there like laboring over it <laughs> I'll spend a couple hours like write it and then rewrite it and then edit because I just love that I love to make a I love to write things kind of the same way I love to paint things and it's the same process of you know just go for it and then cut it down and cut it down and simplify and simplify and get it to a, a beautiful thing that communicates clearly. Yeah. I just recently heard that um, some writers will write like nine pages a day and they only get maybe one or two paragraphs out of that that is actually usable, but they have to first push through those, those nine pages. And it's sort of, it's like they start out with a stream of consciousness right. writing style. That's awesome. That's... I think that's what outdoor studies are for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just crank them out. I'm not thinking about finishing. You just do stuff. Mm -hmm. Work, you know? Yeah. And then that's where ideas come. And when you're, when you're being wild, letting the wild child out outside, instead yeah. of just doing, you could do what you do well all day long and kind of just plane out. Yeah. But studies can be like free writing or rough mm -hmm. draft. How often do you go out uh, plane air painting? But it's, this year it's been much less than I would have liked. It was kind of rough, but I was, I've been working on a, a big project this year that required a lot of large studio paintings. And so I'm just now, I mean, finally able to, to get out and I'm looking forward to this fall. It usually turns out though that I'm, uh, like when, when life is normal, I'm outside just one or two days a week. And I'm, I'm driven really quickly back into the studio because I get so excited outdoors that I, I just go, oh my gosh, I have to get back in and yeah. make something happen from this, like try to say what I saw today. So it, I, it probably ends up being, yeah, like one, two days out in the field getting inspired. And then even when it's gorgeous outside, I go back in like trying to make sense of what I saw. Yeah, because I, I suppose... <clears throat> You can, you have, you know that there's going to be more future days of of beauty out there, mm -hmm. and so sometimes right. you just have to let those, let those in the moment beautiful days just pass by because you right. got to get your studio work done. Yeah, and I'm, I, I've read a lot of Harvey Dunn. I love that guy. If you don't have that book, get it. But uh, oh no, I have Harvey Dunn's. Harvey Dunn's book. For some reason, Harvey Brown's still been on my mind. Oh, Harley Brown. Or Harley Brown. Yeah, Harley Brown's been on my mind since forever. 
So, yeah, Harvey Dunn. And Harvey talks a lot about, like, art's made in the studio. That's where art happens. Outside you learn and outside you grow. Outside you learn to see. But when you make art, go into your studio and push it out of your gut, you know? Yeah. Anyway, but it it rings true to me. I feel like art is a thing that happens inside. A lot of of Dunn's work was just totally from memory, just making it up in the studio. That's amazing. Like, how does it feel to be out on a tractor and at dusk? Yeah. And he just crank it out. Just super passionate, emotional guy, emotional painter. Um, but yeah, it uh, it tastes good. Like when I read his stuff, and and yeah, I I feel like that's a those are some true principles. So I'm enjoying the studio more and more, rather than feeling like ah oh, flip, I'm not outside. I'm enjoying the process of what happens in the studio more. What is the you mentioned the the larger project that you're working towards. Can you t- tell us a little bit about that? I've, I know a little bit myself, but I'll just let you introduce that to us. Yeah, so uh, John Burton is the one who kind of came up with the idea, uh, and then he invited Brian, Mark Taylor, and myself to join him on this project. And it we're, we're, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormons, and John is a convert, a recent convert, but his family had kind of fallen away from the church, and he has, like, his great-granddaddy or whatever, mm-hmm. or great-great or something, was was part of the church right at the very beginning in Nauvoo, like, you know, right at the start with Joseph Smith and all the fellows back in the day. And as part of why, part of his conversion, how he um, developed or, or grew in his faith in, in Christ. So... Uh, that heritage has been really important to him and he thought how cool would it be to paint the the organ or the Mormon trail just the way it is we're all landscape painters like how cool would it be to go out and paint something like a place that's significant to us and invited Brian and I and Brian and I were like yeah that sounds sweet and we didn't have a venue didn't have we just thought well let's do it and then something will happen so that's what we did and it's been a huge it's been like four years we've gone from the beginning to the end of the trail probably two, well two or three times the whole trail but parts of it more than that quite oh, a bit really? more mm-hmm. Wow. and tons of little teeny filled sketches and a, and a billion photos and a lot of trying to it's been a great process for me of like we talked about we've been talking about actually the emotional part of painting or the art part of painting because these places are really significant, super special places. Um, and so I can't approach them just purely visually. Like, I'm trying, it's been an exercise in trying to get myself into a place where, where I want to communicate how a place feels and how, you know, more than just the place. Um, anyway, it's been a really, really great project for me, really stretching. Yeah. And I've, I've done. Each of us has done 20 or so large works, so like uh, 36-48-ish. That was kind of my standard big size, but 20, 36, 48s was a good, a good push. Um, wow. And the show, the show opens in November, okay. and I'm, I'm stoked about it. There'll be a book that they're printing with the show. And, wow. Is mm. it just large works for me then? they're all large the museum's huge and so we had to cut small stuff my smallest is like 24 24 and my 
I'm the smallest. They look dinky yeah. in relationship to what else is the stuff that's going on. So about 60 paintings from the beginning of the trail to the end of the trail. All inter like all our work is mixed in there, so that it's just in order basically. And a whole bunch of historical work that the church has done to to work with the show, and they've designed it beautifully, and they're printing a book within. So it's from November to May or so. It'll run six months, possibly more, in Salt Lake. Yeah, where, where's what's the name of the museum that it'll be at? Just the the Church Museum of Art in Salt Lake City, T okay. Temple Square, just right downtown. Oh, See? awesome! Great. I have to try to make it down for that. When you were out there for on those two or three trips that you did the with Brian and John, did you guys do the whole trip all in all at once, or or was was it segments? How and how long were you guys out there? The I went out twice, and they were both week long trips. And the first one was in the winter, and we. We flew through, we started in Nauvoo, Illinois. We flew through Iowa and um, Nebraska and uh, Wyoming. So in a week, we were just, it was crazy. We went really fast. Then I went back out with Brian and we combed. We spent a lot of time in Iowa mostly, just back and forth, uh, getting more stuff from that job. The from Casper, Wyoming to Utah was really easy for me to get out multiple times by myself okay. and comb that area really good. In fact, and it's it's super exciting as well. It's it's a very that area. Yeah. Casper. From Wyoming all the way to Utah is just killer. So we had that was kind of tricky too. We had an excess of all the goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, there's no Nebraska paintings. <laughs> and you know, the, when we put everything what do you together. What Nebraska, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when we put it all together, the the people at the church, the curator there was like, ah, <laughs> you missed the state. Thought this was the trail, so we had to sneak back out and fill in the gaps a little bit. And that was challenging, too. Like, no one wanted to paint uh, Independence Rock, for instance. Oh, yeah. It's just this kind of bubble in yeah. the middle of nowhere. And, oh, that looks amazing. Thank you. Do you have any Tabasco? Yeah, just some Tabasco. <laughs> <laughs> Food's here, so we're gonna probably sign off and come back possibly. But uh, yeah, the chimney or the Independence Rock story is funny because it was like the last painting I did. John and Brian were like, "We don't want to do it," and I, I volunteered. I'll take it. I'll do. I'll do Independence Rock. And then anyway, it was. It turned out to be a painting I was pleased with. Um. But it was a tricky little subject. The whole trail was tricky, you know, except for Utah. And yeah. Anyway, so. Cool. All right, we'll come back after the meal. <laughs> All right. Okay, so while we let uh, past Josh and Tyler enjoy their breakfast, perhaps now would be a good time to tell you a little more about Montana Gallery, um, where this podcast is produced. Montana Gallery exists to share beauty. We do that in a variety of ways. First, and most obviously, with the artwork we display and sell. 
Uh, never mind that background noise. Yeah, so with the artwork we display and sell. Uh, but we're also right next door and are connected to Ebon Coffee Collective, which in my humble opinion is the best coffee shop in Montana. And uh, that's where I'm standing right now, waiting for Lenny to get me my drink. Um, getting the iced Ethiopian arty uh, pour over. Um, anyways, every day the gallery and, and uh, Evan become a place for friends to catch up and to see and enjoy what's new on the walls. Right now, it's Josh Clare. Earlier this summer, uh, we created and sold out a 25-person, seven-course dinner in the gallery with local chef and our friend, Joshua Young. Any comments on that? It was delicious. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite things that we did. Furthermore, we consistently have get, uh, guest musicians perform intimate concerts on Fridays, and I often teach laid-back, easy-going sip-and-paint classes on Thursday evenings. It's a great way for people to try out oil painting for the first time while enjoying an evening out with friends. A few other of the things we do throughout the year. We facilitate poetry reading nights. We make the space available to dance groups. Um, also, in the past, we've hosted several workshops in the gallery and we've done that twice with Daniel Keyes. I've taught a, an outdoor plein air painting workshop, and currently several friends and I are working to create a new event that would take place here in Montana in summer 2017. I can't say much about it yet, but it's going to be awesome. I'm super excited to get going on this. So stay tuned for that, and we'll let you know more about it shortly. This all to say, <clears throat> it's getting windy. When you support the gallery by purchasing a painting, not only are you getting a great piece of art by an incredible artist who much appreciates the ability to keep creating art, you're also helping to provide a place where real friendships and meaningful conversations can happen. So thank you so much to the many, many people that have supported us over the past three years. And if you're interested in collecting art, I hope you'll give us a chance. Check out what's available at montanagallery.net and there you'll find uh, art by Joshua Clare, Daniel Keyes, Brian Astle, yours truly, and many more. Okay, enough about the gallery. Let's get back to the conversation with Josh. And we've just finished our breakfast and are picking up our conversation at the gallery. And I... Oh, yes, my drink is just about done. Anything else, Lenny? No, no, okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to enjoy this drink and we'll get back uh, to our conversation that's now happening at the gallery. Thanks. All right, here we go. I'm going to just set this guy right over here. Okay. Who would you say is um, the most influential person in your life? Oh, man. That you look up to. Yeah. I've had a lot of really, really powerful influences. My parents are some of the best and most profound. They're just really, 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 really good people. I love them a ton. And they, I, I just, I look up to them 
like crazy now as much as when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. What's their occupations? My mom is a mom and she's been the mom of eight. So okay. she works really hard. She's still got one at home and, uh, she's amazing. She's the, she's such a good listener. She cares so much about, there's no one that you can tell stuff to like mom. Yeah. Cause she, when she is with you, she's, um, she just makes you feel like you're the most important person in the world, you know? And then my dad is a, that's, that's pretty impressive with eight. Yeah, I know. To have that quality. She's like always on the phone with somebody. Wow. Because it's just not her kids that feel that way. It's like everyone. Yeah. So she's always talking to someone. Um, yeah, she's an amazing woman. And she doesn't think she is. That's part of what's so awesome about her. Uh-huh. Is she's just this little, she's a little person. She's short and teeny petite and just, just as like she'll joke about she's how she's she's a blonde and she just doesn't know enough stuff and it's like mom you're amazing you're unbelievable don't even anyway and dad <laughs> dad is a business consultant and just a really strong leader uh-huh. really um just really confident in his ability to get stuff done. He's been really successful wherever he's been in business. And, um, but then he's, he's extremely selfless. He's extremely kind. Yeah. So he hasn't, um, he's been very successful. He's been successful financially. He could have been like exceedingly successful financially, but he, he's just not that kind of guy. Do you know what I mean? Okay. He, he, he'll let the others benefit. He'll, mm-hmm. And he'll leave before the money gets real good just because mm-hmm. he, he's more fulfilled and more satisfied when he's doing the creative part of, of consulting where he goes in and tries to create a new business plan. He loves... And I've, I've learned watching him that uh, he's a very creative person mm-hmm. and his joy comes from the creative side of what he does. Okay. Um, anyway... He's a, he's an outstanding fella, very selfless. Um, what was, what would you say is the best investment you've ever made? Uh, most worth, worthwhile. That could be like a time investment, Mm. money investment or relationship investment. Yeah. Marion Cambry, like easy. Yeah. Easily the best thing I've ever done. (laughs) She's unbelievable. She's, She's the best. And that's really what my life is all about. And I paint so that I can be a dad and a husband, you know? Yeah. And so, and I love what I do and I'm very, I can become extremely consumed with what I do. And I'm so grateful I get to do what I love for a living. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, uh, yeah, holy cow. Marriage to Cambry has been just like heaven on earth. She's absolutely amazing. Definitely the best investment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anything art wise that was, yeah, we've, we've, I was lucky enough to marry a girl who's, who's, um, willing to live a very simple lifestyle. You know what I mean? To, to deal with, to make life as an artist, very comfortable. Mm-hmm. 
uh, we just live simply. Yeah. Or we have, and it's been a massive blessing. So an art investment, I guess. I mean, think choices that we've made, like we moved to Arizona because houses were crazy cheap. Yeah. And, and you know, our mortgage was just ridiculously low, lower than rent would be anywhere. Yeah. And, and it just made life comfortable. It, mm-hmm. it allowed me to create art as well because yeah. I'm, I'm the type of personality that if we don't have a buffer, yeah. um, you know, some savings and, and are living simply, I would be like, I couldn't create, I'd, yeah. I'd have to go get a job, you yeah. know? Yeah. So the best, um, like money investments that we've made have been just choices that we've made together on, on how to, to simplify our lives so that, uh, so we feel very comfortable with whatever income we have as an artist. You know, mm-hmm. we've always felt rich, <laughs> yeah. even though we've never been rich at all. Yeah. So anyway, I feel like that's really, really, I don't know if people get that advice, but whatever, I mean, move to like Missouri or whatever, if that's what it takes to make your life as an artist Mm -hmm. a little, uh, to make it comfortable so that you can create. I know for myself, I can't be creative when I'm under the gun or under financial stress. Like that would, that'd be rough for me. Yeah. Have you, have you uh, ever gotten uh, really great advice in the art world that, that stuck with you? Yeah. But like right at the start, Bill Anton told me to get out and paint from life. Take your act outside. This mm-hmm. is quote from his email. Take okay. your act outside ah, and your stick. And in, in a couple of years, you'll be painting circles around your friends is what he said. Oh yeah. Take your act outside. And anyway, that definitely stuck. And that's been, that's been why I've spent so much time outside. That's actually kind of why I'm a landscape painter. Oh. It just happened naturally. I just went outside to learn. Mm-hmm. And I'm still outside. Yeah. <laughs> still learning. Did you say, like on an average week, I think I asked you this, but did you say how many times a week you're going out? Get outside, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think on a normal week, it's about two days to two days outside to three in the studio. If you are in the studio and you run into a problem and you can't seem to fi- fix it and figure it out, mm-hmm. do you turn to going outside in, in moments like that or do you try to keep working through it? I How? usually just muscle through it. One, I have a, one of my best tools and a killer resource for artists is this cheap app called Art Studio. It's five bucks. Okay. And I'll take a picture of my... Well, it's, it's basically like Photoshop that's... Re- way cheaper and way easier is what it is okay so with your phone boom i take a photo i'm in art studio and i'm you can grab a color really quickly and paint with it yeah so it's just a matter of like grab paint grab paint grab paint so i could move masses a hundred times and then redo move it redo move it redo move it redo yeah until i solve problems that's been huge huge for me because i'll I'll take a painting as far as i can and it'll come to that stage where it's like i like it and it's good, but I wonder. I wonder what would happen if I did this or this or this, and that's that's dreamy. I'm curious, like how much editing you do and, and changing and changing and manipulation and moving mountains around. Mm-hmm. You know, is it oftentimes not even close to the same scene? 
as as the photo that you took or or what was really yeah there? that's i mean with uh with my normal paintings i'm doing a lot of of changing but this mormon trail show has been unique in that i've had to be kind of more literal yeah really pretty strict is mm. trying to keep myself i mean when i painted independence rock it had to be independence rock you know yeah so but still i mean with the ones that i could get away with the ones that were trees or a road <laughs> or whatever you know i just did my thing but there were paintings in the mormon trail show that i had to be really faithful to yeah mm-hmm. any quotes that you live your life by uh but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That's a beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee. I love that one. Coffee customers. Coffee people. Hey, and I'm, then I'm going to really quick just shut the door. Oh, okay. Yeah. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, so that one and then this one for all the law, it's Galatians 5. That other one was from Book of Mormon, 35, 13, 33 or something. Seek ye first the... But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay. All these things. So everything will be good if you do that first. Yeah. I love that. Just all the good things. Everything. Every single good thing in life. And in the next will be added unto you if you just love God first. Yeah. Yeah. And then my other one is um, Galatians 5. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, that thou love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm. So I love that one too. And and those are my favorite scriptures because those are my biggest weaknesses, by the way. I'm working <laughs> on those babies, you know, trying to love people and trying to think about seeking seek seek seeking the father God's will before my own well that's what like when Jesus says and the Pharisees are coming to him and they basically are saying the equivalent of the hot button topics of the day they're saying okay Jesus what is it is it uh, like for today it would be like mm-hmm. are you voting for Trump that's or are you right. voting for Hillary that is what they're doing huh? are you like uh, programs not programs and Jesus, right. Jesus responds by saying, all the law can be summed up in, seek, seek the Father and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. That's true. I hadn't thought about the fact that the Pharisees were trying to press buttons with those questions that they were the... Yeah. 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 Kind of gotcha questions. Yeah, exactly. There was no right answer. Yeah. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so those are a couple quotes I adore. And fear not, only believe. That's a beauty too. I want to put that one on my studio wall. Fear not, only believe. Mm. That's Jesus said that and it was on my mission in Japan in Japanese it's Osoreru na tada shinji nasai. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. 
That's so cool. Yeah, let's talk about that really quick. So you you uh, you went on a mission trip to Japan. How long were you there? So for two years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Learned Japanese for three months, and then I was there for the rest of the time. Did you know Japanese? Like you said, you learned it for three months and then went there. Yeah, that was. Did you I mean, actually taken, know Japanese before I'd you? I did a couple years in high school of Japanese. Yeah, but no. completely different. Yeah, I got A's, but see, didn't th- learn anything. That's that is like the perfect analogy for painting. Actually, I think it is. Yeah, like you can, knowing about it and yeah, doing it. Yeah, oh, yeah, two different things altogether. Yeah, big time. Language. In fact, that book I'm reading a book called How to Do Anything. Let's see, the first twenty hours or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. And he talks about the fact that he took five years of Spanish and got A's and can't speak a lick of it. Yeah. And his buddy just moved to Mexico and just muscled through it the hard way and he speaks Spanish, you know? Yeah. So there's like skill acquisition and there's knowledge acquisition yeah. or training and it's completely different things. And yeah. There's yeah. taking taking your show outside. Yeah. So just mm-hmm. doing it or learning about it and there's a lot of people who know a lot about painting. Yeah. But the key is we just need to do it. Yeah. There's actually another cool story from along those lines is like, a, I think this was in the book Art and Fear. I never read it. Okay. <laughs> but. But love to quote it. There's, yeah, there's this part that's, that's pretty cool that I read about where there was a ceramics class in college. The teacher took half the class and said, you guys are going to be graded solely on the quantity of pots you make. Oh, yeah. And then the other half was, just do one perfect pot. I'll grade you on a single pot. It's just got to be really good. And and the, the part of the class that was just cranking out work yeah. got significantly better. Their skills were much, much higher than the people who tried with all their might to produce one beautiful thing. Right. So, to, it's, just doing it's just it. a lot more doing it and less less um, analyzing it just free writing kind of you know, yeah yeah that's what it is brainstorming getting it all out and writing the nine pages to get the one paragraph right mm-hmm. uh, what does that um, tell me more about that book uh, you share it in your workshops yeah uh, these strategies for getting better at something quickly it was good it was good what, what's the name of the book the first 20 hours, How to Learn Anything Fast, I believe. Okay. I don't even remember the author. Okay. Yeah, a friend, rec- Alvin's wife, actually. Okay. Recommended it. And, and there, in there, it. you share 10 principles. Yeah. Uh, which we don't have so in front of us. I'll run real quickly, like, through what I remember. Okay. Just for the benefit of those listening is, pick a subject you love, 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 love. Fall in love with a problem is what he says, actually, which is kind of cool. Okay. Fall in love with a problem and live trying to solve that problem. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So if the problem of art is it, then next step is to focus solely on art for a, for a time. Yeah. So you're not distracted with 15 other things you want to do. Um, and then you have to learn about, you have to learn a certain amount about how to make paintings. So take a workshop or divide the skill into sub skills. Um, You've got to learn enough to get started practicing enough of the fundamentals and they've got to be true, solid fundamentals. Um, the key is not to spend your 20 hours learning about art. 
mm-hmm. just learning enough to get started practicing. Okay. Which is interesting. So, um, anyway, once you're there, once you've got kind of a set of sub skills, because art's big. I want to be an artist. Once you divide that in a couple of things that you can actually tackle, um, then you set your target level of performance or set a goal. Like I want to be here in two months and I'm going to get there by doing these things. Um, and then the other great advice from it, and I thought this was powerful, two things like using your willpower to eliminate distractions. So rather than leaving your phone on and just resisting as long as possible, long as humanly possible, like every time it bings, bing, mm-hmm. <laughs> he says we only have so much willpower, so it's a much wiser choice to use your willpower to turn off your phone before you start than to try to resist every being. Yeah. You know, so turn off, just eliminate distractions, turn it all off the computer, the phone, everything, TV, the radio, and make it so that when you're practicing, you're practicing the whole time. Yeah. You're fully present. Fully present, moment. yeah. It's got to be deliberate, intentional practice. It's got to hurt. Yeah. You gotta, you're, it's got to be so mentally exhausting that you can hardly stand two hours of it. Mm. And that's when it's the right kind of practice. Um, so yeah, using your willpower to eliminate distractions and then, um, what do you call it? Like low value, cutting low value uses of time. Okay. So identifying those by maybe keeping a note, uh, uh, just for one day, write down in a notebook how you spend every half an hour of the day. Ooh. And he said, it'll just be, you'll just be blown away by you'll how much time you actually have. Potential time. Yeah. And you'll like, maybe hate yourself for yeah, a little bit. It'll be rough. It'll be rough, but you'll go, oh my gosh, if I just don't do this, then I'll have three hours a day to paint, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas before, you just go, keep putting it off. You think, oh, I just don't have time. I'm so busy. Right. So busy. But I thought those things were killer. Eliminate the distractions and then cut low values of time. And then it was the quantity and versus quality thing. Mm-hmm. Then just do it. Do it, do it, do it. Yeah. Make a yeah. hundred pots and uh, for the one that's going to be good, you know. Yeah. And you'll really grow. So good book, though. Go ahead and grab it if you. Yeah, I would love to. Because I'm all about that kind of stuff right now. Yeah. I need it badly. Yeah, it's good. So, um, yeah. Okay, I don't want to keep you much longer because you got to hit the road. Uh, let's see if there's anything else um, that, that we need to talk about. Oh, so you're leaving me with a handful of paintings mm. that are some really amazing things. It's so cool for me to have great paintings in the gallery. Uh, for one, to sell them, hopefully. But two, as an artist myself, it it's like it's like having the best personal collection. That is cool. That's it, really cool. And I mean, just even as I as I set those in there uh, in the gallery last night and this morning walking in, I go, oh man, Josh just gets color so well. And like being able to see yours right next to mine is mm-hmm. incredibly helpful, actually. Mm-hmm. A little discouraging, but. Oh, really helpful. Be. You're doing great <laughs> stuff. Really good. But uh, yeah, thank you for bringing me some awesome stuff. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. It's been good to talk with you. Good times. This is a beautiful gallery. All y'all so come to Montana Gallery. 
there's some goodies in here. In fact, Tyler stuff, you should buy lots of Tyler stuff because there's seriously some. I think I'm gonna take one home today, actually. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Josh, and uh, drive safe on your trip home. Going up through Beartooth Pass, so yeah, I'm excited. there's still opportunity to get some good light up there if you leave now. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys, for listening. still there? I hope you are, because uh, there's actually one more thing. It's not over. Not yet, anyways. Uh, I, I asked Josh if he would share with us um, something that he shared with the group of artists that got together last December. We get together several times a year, at least we try to anyways, and usually... Uh, everybody has something kind of new and exciting to share with everybody, and, and that makes it really fun. Last time, Josh sh- shared a little uh, chapter from a book, and I'm not gonna uh, I'm gonna let him set it up. But oh man, he does a great job reading it, and and so it's really fun. Before we go, I forgot I need to mention. Uh, okay, well, first of all, thanks for listening this far. If you have, and I'm sorry about all the. Uh, the clicks and the bangs and odd sounds and and uh, just in general poor um, interview skills and host skills hopefully as I do this more I'll get better and better at interviewing and uh, recording and um, oh yes if you're interested in the book that Josh mentioned it is the first 20 hours by Josh Kaufman huge thanks to my friend Ryan Kayberry and his band, Known by Name, for the use of their music. You can find out how you can get their album in the show description at montanagallery.net under the podcast tab. So until next time, share beauty. And here is Josh Clare sharing a little bit of beauty from P.G. Woodhouse. Thanks for listening. All right. Um, this is Josh, and I am a massive fan of P.G. Woodhouse, British author, British comic author, um, prolific, thank heavens, because I listen to him all the time while I paint, and I absolutely love, love, love his work, his art. Um... Some of his most favorite works are Birdie and Wooster or Wooster and Jeeves series. Um, but he's also in a lot of short stories and a lot of different characters. It's typically the same plot. <laughs> like a, a guy that wants to get married to a girl and there's a snag because the rich uncle or aunt won't let him. But despite that, kind of the... Uh, predictability of his books they are just pure joy he's such a good writer so anyway i'm going to read a little bit from one of my very faves because it's about an artist 
Uh, it's printed in P.G. Woodhouse's collection of short stories called Carry on Jeeves. And this one says the first printing was like 1925. I don't actually know how old this little book is. Oh, but it's so good. And I instead of reading the whole story to you, because you'd get sick of me eventually. By the way, there's um, Jonathan Cecil or Frederick Davidson or a couple of of uh, professional readers, I suppose you call them, like the audiobook readers that are just, they have the beautiful British accent and they're perfect for Woodhouse. They're like, I've listened to a lot of people read Woodhouse and I can't stand anyone other than those two now. So I apologize that you're going to hear my nasty American English with this beautiful, beautiful work, but you know, Hopefully, it just gets you to look the fellow up and read some of his stuff, and I hope that you have as much joy in this man's work as I have had. So, this short story is called The Artistic Career of Corky, um, and it starts with, it introduces uh, Corky, Bertram Wooster's friend who is engaged to a chorus girl. He brings her over to meet Bertie and, and says, we're just sick about it, Bertie. My uncle's never going to let this thing happen. Corky is an artist uh, who's unable to support himself, and he relies heavily on a rich uncle who's in the jute business. The uncle thinks his art is a bunch of junk. He should quit art and come work for him and work his way up. Corky wants to be an artist, though, and that is... That sounds like a horrible nightmare to him to go work his way up in the jute business. Um, but the uncle gives him a monthly allowance, and he's worried that the uncle's never going to accept this chorus girl as a fit companion for him. So, um, Bertie is always relying upon and asking Jeeves for advice, and Jeeves is coming up with ways to get him out of trouble and stuff. So Jeeves's idea for this problem is to... Uh, I, so the uncle as well, I'm sorry, the, the rich uncle is a, a bird fanatic. He is obsessed with birds and has written several books on birds. Um, and so Jeeves's idea is to hire someone to write a book on birds in which they just praise the work of this uncle. And then to put this chorus girl, Muriel's name, as the author and print it. So it's expensive, but Bertie's got a lot of money. He loves Corky. He says, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. We'll just make this, this fictitious book, put Muriel as the author. Um, it'll, it'll, give, uh, it'll open a door. She'll go to meet him. He'll have seen the book and seen how much she praises him, and they'll just be fast friends. It'll be beautiful, and then they can get married. So they do it. Uh, Bertie forks out the money. They print the book. It all goes swimmingly, except for he goes abroad and comes back, and he comes back and um, meets Muriel unexpectedly in a restaurant, this chorus girl. And she says, oh, yes, I'm married. And then the dude that walks up, as her husband is not his friend Corky, it's the uncle, his big fat brother. And Bertie's floored. He's like, oh no, oh no. And he, he runs to Jeeve, Jeeve, 
um, Jeeves. And Jeeves says, oh, yeah, I, I, I thought that might happen. There was the slight possibility of something like that happening um, if the chorus girl was kind of a bunch of junk and would do something so horrible. But she did. She ditched Corky for the rich uncle. They're married. And then... Um, let's see here. I'm going to start right. So anyway, that's that's my best job at summarizing the first job part of this little story. And I'll read just a couple pages here. Uh, this is Bertie speaking, narrating. I was so dashed sorry for poor old Corky that I hadn't the heart to touch my breakfast. I was bowled over. Absolutely. It was the limit. I hardly knew what to do. I wanted, of course, to rush down to Washington Square and grip the poor blighter silently by the hand. And then, thinking it over, I hadn't the nerve. Absent treatment seemed the touch. I gave it him in waves. But after a month or so, I began to hesitate again. It struck me that I was playing a bit, playing it a bit low down on the poor chap, avoiding him like this, just when he probably wanted his pals to surge round him most. I pictured him sitting in his lonely studio with no company but his bitter thoughts, and the pathos of it got to me to such an extent that I bounded straight into a taxi and told the driver to go all out for the studio. I rushed in, and there was Corky hunched up at the easel, painting away, while on the model throne sat a severe-looking female of middle age holding a baby. A fellow has to be, <laughs> a fellow has to be ready for that sort of thing. Oh, ah, I said and started to back out. Corky looked over his shoulder. Oh, man. Okay, pause right here. I'm going to go ahead and do the British accent because it's just so sad not to. And I have the worst British accent ever. So here it goes. Hello, Bertie. Don't go. We're just finishing for the day. That will be all this afternoon, he said to the nurse, who got up with the baby and decanted it into a perambulator which was standing in the fairway. At the same time to our tomorrow, Mr. Cochran. Yes, please. Good afternoon. Afternoon. Corky stood there looking at the door, and then he turned to me and began to get it off his chest. Fortunately, he seemed to take it for granted that I knew all about what had happened, so it wasn't as awkward as it might have been. It's my uncle's idea, he said. Muriel doesn't know about it yet. The portrait's to be a surprise for her on her birthday. The nurse takes the kid out ostensibly to get a breather, and they beat it down here. If you want an instance of the irony of fate, Bertie, get acquainted with this. Here's the first commission I have ever had to paint a portrait, and the sitter is that human poached egg that has butted and bounced me out of my inheritance. Can you beat it? I call it rubbing the thing in to expect me to spend all my afternoons gazing into the ugly face of a little brat who to all intents and purposes has hit me behind the ear with a blackjack and swiped all I possess. I can't refuse to paint the portrait, because if I did, my uncle would stop my allowance." Yet every time I look up and catch that kid's vacant eye, I suffer agonies. I tell you, Bertie, sometimes when he gives me a patronizing glance and turns away as if sick, as if revolted to look at me, I come within an ace of occupying the entire front page of an evening paper as the latest murder sensation. There are moments when I can almost see the headlines. Promising young artist beans baby with axe. I patted his shoulder silently. My sympathy for the poor old scout was too deep for words. I kept away from the studio for some time after that because it didn't seem right to me to intrude on the poor chappie's sorrow. Besides, I'm bound to say that the nurse intimidated me. She reminded me so infernally of Aunt Agatha. 
She was the same gimlet-eyed type. But one afternoon, Corky called me on the phone. Bertie? Hello? Are you doing anything this afternoon? Nothing special. You couldn't come down here, could you? What's the trouble? Anything up? I finished the portrait. Good boy, stout work. Yes, his voice sounded rather doubtful. The fact is, Bertie, it doesn't look quite right to me. There's something about it. My uncle's coming in half an hour to inspect it, and I i don't know why it is, but I, I kind of feel I'd like your moral support. I began to see that I was letting myself in for something. The sympathetic cooperation of Jeeves seemed to me to be indicated. You think he'll cut up rough? He may. I threw my mind back to the red-faced chappie I had met at the restaurant and tried to picture him cutting up rough. <laughs> it was only too easy. I spoke to Corky firmly on the telephone. I'll come, I said. Good. But only if I may bring Jeeves. Why Jeeves? What's Jeeves got to do with it? Who wants Jeeves? Jeeves is the fool who suggested the scheme that has led... Listen, Corky old top, if you think I'm going to face that uncle of yours without Jeeves' support, you're mistaken. I'd sooner go into a den of wild beasts and bite a lion on the back of the neck. Oh, all right, said Corky. Not cordially, but he said it. So I rang for Jeeves and explained the situation. Very good, sir, said Jeeves. We found Corky near the door, looking at the picture with one hand up in a defensive sort of way, as if he thought it might swing on him. Stand right where you are, Bertie, he said without moving. Now, tell me honestly, how does it strike you? The light from the, <laughs> the, light from the big window fell right on the picture. I took a good look at it. Then I shifted a bit nearer and took another look. Then I went back to where I had been at first because it hadn't, <laughs> it hadn't seemed quite so bad from there. Well, said Corky anxiously. I hesitated a bit. Of course, old man, I only saw the kid once and then only for a moment, but, but it, it was an ugly sort of kid, wasn't it, if I remember rightly? As ugly as that? I looked again, and honestly, honesty compelled me to be frank. I don't see how it could have been, old chap. Poor old Corky ran his fingers through his hair in a temperamental sort of way. He groaned. You're quite right, Bertie. Something's gone wrong with the darn thing. My private impression is that without knowing it, I've worked that stunt that Sergeant used to pull, painting the soul of the sitter. I've gone through the mere outward appearance and have put the child's soul on canvas. <laughs> but, but could a child have a soul like that? I don't think how he could have managed it in time. What do you think, Jeeves? I doubt it, sir. It, it sort of leers at you, doesn't it? You've noticed that too, said Corky. I don't see how one could help noticing. All I tried to do was to give the little brute a cheerful expression, but uh, <laughs> as it has worked out, he looks positively dissipated. Just what I was going to suggest, old man. He looks as if he were in the middle of a colossal spree and enjoying every minute of it. Don't you think so, Jeeves? He has a decidedly inebriated air, sir. Corky was starting to say something when the door opened and the uncle came in. For about three, <laughs> for, for about three seconds, all was joy, jollity, and goodwill. The old boy shook hands with me, 
slapped Corky on the back and said he didn't think he'd ever seen such a fine day and whacked his leg with his stick. Chiefs had projected himself into the background and he didn't notice him. Well, Bruce, my boy, so the portrait is really finished, is it? Really finished. Well, bring it out. Let's have a look at it. This will be a wonderful surprise for your aunt. Where is it? Let's... <laughs> and then he got it. Suddenly. When he wasn't... <clears throat> when he wasn't set for the punch. And he rocked back on his heels. Ooh! He exclaimed. And for perhaps a minute, <laughs> there was one of the scaliest silences I've ever run up against. Is this a practical joke? He said at last in a way that said about 16 drafts coming through the room at once. I thought it was up to me to rally round old Corky. You, you want to stand a bit farther away from it, I said. You're perfectly right, he snorted. I do. I want to stand so far away from it that I can't see the thing with the telescope. He turned on Corky like an untamed tiger of the jungle which is just located in a chunk of meat. And this, this is what you've been wasting your time and my money on for all these years. A painter. I wouldn't let you paint a house of mine. I gave you this commission thinking you were a competent worker. And this, this extract from a comic supplement is the result. He swung towards the door, lashing his tail and growling to himself. This ends it. If you wish to continue this foolery of pretending to be an artist because you want an excuse for idleness, please yourself. But let me tell you this. Unless you report at my office on Monday morning prepared to abandon all this idiocy and start in at the bottom of the business, work your way up, as you should have done half a dozen years ago, not another cent. Not another cent. Not another... Boosh. Then the door closed and he was no longer with us. And I crawled out of the bomb-proof shelter. Corky, old top, I whispered faintly. Corky was standing, staring at his picture. <laughs> his face was sad. <laughs> there was a hunted look in his eye. Well, that finishes it, he muttered brokenly. What are you going to do? Do? What can I do? I can't stick on here if he cuts off supplies. You heard what he said. I shall have to go to the office on Monday. Oh, um, and you know what? I'll stop there. The, he, uh, <laughs> you'll actually have to wear, read the story yourself if you want to finish it. We'll leave it as that. We'll leave it as a teaser, a huge teaser, a very poorly read teaser. I apologize. Um, I actually kind of murdered the Woodhouse. You know, it's this beautiful art, and I just defiled it with my poor reading so I apologize for that but oh, do yourself a favor my friends and uh, listen or read listen to some Wooster read by Jonathan Cecil or Frederick Davidson or read some Wooster which is nearly as good and uh, yes there you have it the artistic career of Corky by P.G. Woodhouse